Who has read Ecclesiastes? I have. Why would we read Ecclesiastes? Because Talk about bugs. Time okay, why do we? That's okay. That's a good one. We like to. Uh, that's like. That's pretty sick. Why do we? Why do we eat Ecclesiastes this time of year? Okay, let me rephrase that. Why do we read Kohelet this time of year? What is Kohelet? Kohelet is Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a Greek name, or a Latin name, for the word Kohelet, which is the preacher, or preacher, the guy that preaches, Kohelet. There's a book in the Bible that we read during Sukkot. Why is it so odd that we read Kohelet during Sukkot? What is, what is Sukkot? What is another name? Uh, uh, that's right. Dale, Dale said today that this is the season of our joy. So if it's the season of our joy for seven days, and then the eighth day, the eighth day, why would we read something as apparently depressing as Kohelet, Ecclesiastes? Why is Kohelet depressing? Maybe I'm just assuming that you've read it and you know it's depressing. Is it depressing? A time to live, a time to lie. All is vanity. Whoa. Right? Call it depressing. Rick says we call it depressing, but he doesn't think it is. Who agrees with Rick? For tomorrow we die, that's depressing. Okay, but Rick says he thinks we call it depressing, but he doesn't think it is. Who, who agrees with Rick? I agree, I agree with Rick. I agree with Rick. Okay, but it is true, everybody has to agree that you have to look deep to find something other than very depressing. You agree? You can all nod your heads. Yes, we agree. In Shabbat 30b, in the Talmud, the sages were troubled by the book of Ecclesiastes for the very reason we're talking about. Not only were we studying it during Sukkot, but why should we even read it at all? Because it apparently, it apparently promotes the idea that there is no hope and life is just whoever dies with the most stuff wins. Right? That's what it looks like. That is what it looks like. That's what it reads like. But you know, they changed their mind. I shouldn't say they changed their mind. They always knew they were going to do it. But they decided that they were going to include it in the Tanakh, in the Holy Scriptures, because it begins with Torah and it ends with Torah. Now, there's a whole lot in between that you go, but it begins with Torah. It says, a man toils all day long. That's the Torah. He works all day long. Because that's what we're commanded to do. We're commanded to work when? Six days. And we're commanded to rest in the seventh. So that begins with Torah. A man works. He labors. And it ends with Torah in chapter 12, verse 13. It says, who knows? But this is the duty of man, to fear God and keep his commandments. But you have to admit, that verse doesn't fit in the book. If you just read it at the surface level. So we want to look deeper. Deeper than the surface level. To see the things, to see the things that... Why the reason why Solomon wrote it at all? Solomon wrote Kohelet. He wrote it. He's the preacher. He's the guy preaching it. Why did he write it? Was Solomon that depressed? That's exactly what academia tells us about Ecclesiastes. Solomon was manic depressive. 
You had good days and bad days. And this is what happens when you're a king. You've got nothing to do. Lay around and think about stuff. A thousand wives. Goes to show you what depresses you, right? It seems depressing, but it really isn't. And Solomon actually, Solomon actually writes the book for a very specific purpose. And it's exactly why we should study it at this time of year. Because Solomon is teaching us about wisdom. The book is about wisdom. Everybody knows the book of Proverbs is about wisdom, right? But not many people think of Ecclesiastes as a book of wisdom, unless it's like the wrong kind of wisdom. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. All a man lives his whole life, and he works, and he ends up just being dirt. That's wisdom. But what he wanted to do is he wanted to show that it is wisdom not as man sees it. I had the scriptures here. Where'd they go? Not as man sees it, but rather as true wisdom, the wisdom of God. Let me read here, first of all, what the rabbi said regarding Ecclesiastes. Rav Judah, son of Rav uh, Samuel ben Shaliat, said in Rav's name, the sages wished to hide the book of Ecclesiastes because its words were self-contradictory. Yet, why did they not hide it? Because its beginning is religious teaching and its end is religious teaching. Its beginning is religious teaching, teaching as it is written. What profit hath a man in all his labor where he labors under the sun? And the school of Rabbi Yanni said, we commented, under the sun he has none, but he has it before the sun. The end thereof is religious teaching as it is written. Let us hear the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For thus is the whole of man. Let's read about how Solomon became king. Anybody know how old Solomon was he became king? However answer you'd like. Young. Young. Very young. Twelve years old, Solomon became king. So at twelve years old, if you were a twelve-year-old and you were going to become king of all of the land of Israel, and your father David is very well-liked, loved, and very successful, what would you ask for if you were, if God came to you in a dream and asked you what you want? Dessert every meal. That's right. Dessert every meal. I want an, I want an iPad. I want, I want an Xbox 360. I'm 12. I want a black belt. <laughs> what did he ask for? Well, here's what it says. Solomon went up before, before the brazen altar before the Lord, which is at the tent of meeting, and offered 1,000 burnt offerings on it. At that, in that night, this is after he's already, he's been a king for a while, but he's offered these offerings in the, in the, in the tabernacle. In that night did God appear to Solomon and said to him, Ask what I shall give you. Solomon said to God, You have shown great love, love, loving kindness to David my father, and have made me king in his place. Now, Lord, please, let your promise to David my father be established. For you have made me king over a people like the dust of the earth and a multitude. Give me now wisdom and knowledge, that I may go out and come in before this, this people. For who can judge this, your people that is so great? God said to Solomon, because this was in your heart, and you have not asked for riches, wealth, honor, Xbox 360, nor the life of those who, nor the life of those who, 
I don't have the rest of it. Nor the life of those who suit your life. I give you wisdom. That's pretty cool. There's a parable. There's a parable that the sages tell about a man who earned great favor with the king because he had been in service to the king. And the king turned to the man and he says, Ask for anything you want in my kingdom and I will give it because of your great service to me. You know what the king asked for, or the servant asked for? He said, I want your daughter for my wife. And the king was like, stunned. What a, what a really good thing to ask for. Because if he gets the daughter, what does he get? He gets the kingdom. He didn't ask for the kingdom. He asked for the daughter. Solomon is the servant. God is the king. Solomon asked for the daughter. He asked for wisdom. Give me the daughter. Give me your daughter. Wisdom, as Proverbs 6 tells us. See, wisdom is there to teach us. Proverbs 6, 7, and 8. He's there to teach us. She is the daughter. Stop. Wisdom. Excuse me. Who? 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 No. Who? Alright. So, it's a book of wisdom. What kind of wisdom is it? There's the wisdom of the world, and there's the wisdom of the world to come. Which is this that Solomon's teaching us about? He's probably teaching us about both. And in fact, he's teaching us about the wisdom of the world to come by showing us the wisdom of the world. Because they're not the same. The wisdom that Solomon merited was not of this world, but he got the wisdom of the world to come. Now, he had a lot of knowledge. In fact, people wanted to all come and hear him talk because he's like, he knew everything. He wasn't just a wise man. He was full of knowledge. He knew everything. So why is this man that ever walked the planet? And it was a gift because he was wise enough to know or prompted enough to know that when he, asked, when he was asked for whatever you want, I want wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he shows us the difference between the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of the world to come. It's a glimpse beyond the curtain, right? You, you didn't see Wizard of Oz, it's okay, but it's that same concept. Who is the one behind the curtain that's pulling all the strings? Who's the one that's not seen? Now, when you sit in a sukkah, this is why we studied this time, this scripture, this time of year, what do you see around you? Why do you have holes in the roof? So you can see the sun in the day and the stars and the moon at night, right? And why do we have three walls and not four? Because we want to feel the wind, the rain, the heat, the cold. What does that do? How does that tell us about what's going on? Is that revealing the glory of God? How? If that, if nature reveals the glory of God, why doesn't everybody worship Him? Is God visible, or is He hidden? He's hidden. Does God want to be hidden, or does He want to be like out in the open and telling us who He is? Which is it? God wants to be hidden. Have you ever thought about that? God wants to be hidden. He hides for a reason. He's all powerful. Could He not speak from the heavens today and declare all truth? so that no one could doubt. Why doesn't he? 
because he doesn't want to. He wants to be hidden. We think, because we worship the one true God, we think God wants to be revealed. And he does. But not the way we think he does. He wants to be hidden. He wants to be hidden so that people ask such questions. Here's the questions. What's life all about? What's it all about? Is there more than this? Is there a purpose behind life? Why am I here? Am I the last? Am I the first? Is there anything that matters? Or does everything matter? Is it fate or destiny? He wants people to ask those questions. Now you may not think that he wants people to ask questions, but he does. Because questions are in self are themselves answers. Here's the question that most people will identify with. Why do bad things happen to good people? Those are the troubling questions. You know, when you start asking about the purpose of life or whatever else, you know, you can put that off. Because you got to eat, you got to go do your job, whatever it is, you can usually put those kind of questions off. But every single day we're confronted with evil around us. And we ask the question, why do all this bad stuff happen to people? Especially people that don't deserve it, is what we say, right? It's a question of order in creation. It's what we're asking. Is anybody in charge? Is there anybody in charge? And here's what I want to give you. What did Cain, Nimrod, and I'm using these names specifically, so think carefully. What did Cain, Nimrod, Esau, the Amalekites, Haman, big hint, Edom, Rome, and the Nazis all have in common? No, no. If Sherry said, that's good, that's good. If Sherry said they all hated the Jews, that's, that's, that's not quite true. Cain. They're all on bail side. He says they're all on bail side. What else? Murder. Murder, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. You know, the Nazis—they weren't murderous at all. <laughs> Who said that? You're right. They observed the apparent chaos of life and sought to establish their own order. Go back to Cain. Right? It's not fair. It's not fair. Look, you accept Abel's offering. I'm giving more. Why do you accept his and not mine? He wants his own order. He doesn't want it just to be the way that it should be, that God established. He wants his own order. I think that I should be able to make the rule. Right? He establishes his own order. Look at Nimrod. And what do we know about Nimrod? He founded what city? Babylon. Babel. And what is it that they did in Babel at Nimrod's direction? We're going to build we're gonna build a tower. We want to be like God. Right? What about the Amalekites? They did not fear God is what it says. They did not fear God. 
says they happened upon the children of Israel and they picked off the weak ones because they did not fear God. What about Haman? What did Haman do specifically? How did he start his mad plot? What do we call the time when we celebrate with Haman? He cast lots. So what? What was the purpose for his lot? What he couldn't decide? Was he stupid? He couldn't pick a date on the calendar? Why did he cast lots? He wants to establish an order other than God's order. He wants fate to decide. Let's read some scriptures. Okay? Who has a Bible or something that you can use on Shabbat? Deuteronomy 25, verse 17. I can read some. I have the scriptures here, but I don't want to be the only one reading. Deuteronomy 25, 17 through 18. This is the hint. The, the look behind the curtain. Remember. Uh, remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt. How, what? How he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary and cut off your tail, those who were lagging behind you and who did not fear God. And what the word there when it says, He happened upon you, the word is kara. And it means it was accidental. It's happenstance. It wasn't planned. Now, do you think for a moment that Amalek's out there wandering around going, I wonder where the children of Israel are so we can attack them? Or do you think they planned it? They planned it. Of course they planned it. But in their mind, it was just happenstance. As luck would turn out, we found this people that we could raid. As luck would turn out. That sounds like Ecclesiastes. As luck would turn out, I got born into a good family. So-so and Grandpa Jack. And as luck would turn out, whew, I mean, I could have been born to another family. I could have been born into Ukraine and not even speak English today. That would be awful. Do you think that God planned it? Or do you think that God gave it over to... We're going to ask that question. That's a very good question, Rick. That's an excellent question. The opposite of creating your own order is fearing God. You see the contrast. Amalek didn't fear God, so they created their own order. The order they thought was chaos. They brought chaos into its own organized system. Their system. That's what Eve did when she wanted to be like God. That's what Cain did when he wanted to be like God. I don't like your system. I'm going to make my own system. Okay? Let's go to Genesis 11.4. I'll read this one. And Dale, while I'm going there, if you don't mind looking up Esther 6.13. Genesis 11.4. Then they said, this is the people at Babel. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. They wanted their own system of order. There's chaos out there. People live and die. Good things happen to bad people. But if we can create the order, we can prevent that. We could have good health care. <laughs> occupy Wall Street. We could occupy Wall Street and set all things right. You understand? We can vote Democrat. We can vote Republican. We can set things right. We can come up with a system that will be fair. And that bad things won't happen to good people anymore. 
wrong. That's right. That's wrong. <laughs> Esther 6.13. And Haman told his wife, You're wrong! <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and all his friends, everything that had happened to him, then his wise men and his wife, You're wrong! <laughs> and Mordecai, before whom you had begun to fall, is of the Jewish people. You will not overcome him. But you, you will surely fall before you. It's just your light and life, Herman. It's just those lucky Jews. They're going to get away with it again. They always get away with it. They end up being the bankers. And we all owe them money. If we could just get rid of those people, things would be fine. You see where it comes from? Why? It's because they're just the lucky. They're the chosen people. It's just fake. Not, there is no God. You say that, and, and for a long time, I, I thought, who actually said that? They do say it all the time. I heard it. I heard somebody doing On Wall Street. Yeah, it was one of those two things yeah. on Wall Street, and that's exactly what they said. It's the Jews' fault. Yeah. Why do they blame the Jews? Because they're the chosen people. And it's, it's not who's chosen, it's, it's just fake. It's because it's a lot in life. Like That's why people don't like rich people. They all inherited it. Right? They didn't work for it. They just inherited it. They were lucky enough to be born into that family. We need a new order that's fair. Right? Ecclesiastes 2. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people as well. But I said already. It doesn't matter who you are, good and bad's gonna happen. It's just the luck of the draw. It's just fate. Happenstance. Just happenstance. Do you believe in happenstance? I wanna challenge you that you believe in happenstance more than you think you do. You do. You believe in it more than you perceive that you do. No. Perception is the what you think is true. You think it's true that you don't believe in happenstance. But I think that you still do. Then I said in my heart, then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. How sad. Solomon actually now says even wisdom is vanity. There's no purpose. In the end, I'll end up dead just like everybody else. I have a question. Mm-hmm. If he says all is vanity, is the vanity of meaning? meaning? The vanity just means it's all like, the word is like, it's like breath. Or yeah. a vapor. Yeah, it just goes. We blow it, it's gone. Or the vanity of purpose. No, it just means vain and there's a, it's, it's thin, it is just it goes away. It's meaningless. Yeah, that is the vanity of meaning, meaningless. The vanity of meaning, meaningless? That's a deep thought, so hold it till later, okay? Israel, there's a group of people that by design, ultimate design, were different. And we want to be like them. They were different. The patriarchs, the prophets, and Israel saw, quote, saw something else. They heard someone. In faith, they chose to see and act upon 
the intricate divine order. How does the book of the Bible, how does the Bible begin? How does the book begin? In the suit. In the beginning, what? God started an order. Do you believe that? Why doesn't everybody believe that? They want to start their own Because you can look around, and although the heavens declare the glory of God, if you don't believe it, they don't. They still do. Well, they always do, but they don't do it to the people that see it. That's right. They chose to obey the specific instructions of an unseen creator. Now that takes faith. Why does it take faith? To believe the specific instructions of an unseen creator. Think with me logically for a moment. If the creator, if the creator, if there is this great creator that has very specific instructions for you, that you can know that you can live by every single day, specific instructions for you, and he's supposedly a great creator, how foolish is it that he doesn't reveal himself, that he remains hidden? Is it? Remember what Ecclesiastes said? It sounds to us, I'm, I'm being like Solomon. Remember Solomon said it's all vanity. I'm being like Solomon. I'm saying it isn't foolish, but that's the way it seems, right? That's the way it seems. They chose to obey the specific instructions of an unseen creator that appears more hidden than in charge. In faith, they chose order over chaos. Now, it seems like people like Wall Street Group, they're, God bless them, they want order, right? They, they don't really, right? They want their order. But really what they're choosing is chaos. It's what the world does all along. They set up governments. They're really choosing chaos, not order. They're really choosing chaos because they're saying the world is just happenstance. It's just the luck of the draw, and somebody needs to step up to take a charge. Because if somebody doesn't take charge, it's going to be, it's going to be mayhem out there. It's going to be chaos. So we need to step up and take charge. That's what they did in Babel. The fact that Sinai makes the point that a specific day in the history of man, that the unseen, invisible creator who remains hidden since that time chose to step into time and be seen and heard by Israel is a remarkable event. I mean, that's like, unbelievable, it's history changing. It's the only time in all of history that a people have heard the voice of the Creator who is unseen and chooses to remain hidden. He didn't choose that moment. What's different about that moment? Why is that so important? Because that moment he proved to this people who had already said every hurt, everything that he had said we will do. They had already chosen to, be, to obey the specific instructions of an unseen creator that they knew nothing about other than what they had been told. At that moment, their faith was rewarded with seeing the unseen. Okay, it was a one-time event. Hasn't happened since, but it ought to be enough to last us for a long, long, long time. Right? 
To this day, all men face the question, is there a king? Is there order? Is there a system? Is there anybody in charge? Or is it all just fate, luck, and chaos? Rejecting happenstance. Rejecting happenstance is actually the first step to wisdom. Remember, Amalek happened upon Israel and they showed no fear of God. So happenstance is the lack of fear of God. Choosing to reject happenstance and choose that God is in charge is in fact the definition of the fear of God. Who's king? Who's creator? Who has set, established the only system that works? So all's not vanity. There's purpose. There is a creator who is intimately orchestrating everything. Not just a clockmaker that wound it up and it all operates in its natural cycle. No, this is fine. That's perfect. Not just a clockmaker that winds it up. But everything is precisely by his order. Now let me ask you something. If Raya comes in and makes a noise and breaks your concentration, which he didn't, I hope, but if you were to break your concentration, how could that fit God's purposes? That's where you know if you're asking those kind of questions. That's where you know do more... He's fine, by the way. That's where you know do more attuned to happenstance than you think. If you're always looking for cause and effect, if something bad happens to you, here's a perfect example. I was driving down the road, and I have a flat tire. And I pull over, and I fix my flat tire, and then I get back in my car, and I start driving, and I come up in an accident that happened about 15 minutes ago, and it's this horrible accident, 15 cars, and everybody's killed. And I'm thinking, oh, that could have been me. I'm falling prey to happenstance. Oh, I'm not saying that God, I'm saying God protecting me, but what I'm, almost, what I'm always saying is there has to be a cause and effect. Let me challenge you with the biggest cause and effect question of all. Why did the Holocaust happen? What possible good could come from murdering 6,000 Jews, 6 million Jews? No, that's cause and effect, that's happenstance. True faith says I don't have to see a cause and effect. True faith says God's in charge and though he remains hidden. True faith says I never have to see anything. That's what we see in Job. When all the bad things happen, what's his response? I trust the Lord. I trust the Lord. Joey Swain, yeah, well, I trust him. And in fact, Job was challenged by his friends. You must have done something. You must have sinned. You knew that and go, well, yeah, why not at least consider it, right? And God rebukes them. Why? Because they're looking for cause and effect. I'm not saying there isn't cause and effect, but it's not as clear-cut as that. He's looking for cause and effect. They're looking for cause and effect. They're saying, you did something wrong, so God brought this to get your attention. Job's response is right. Is right. I haven't done anything. But God is good, and everything he brings into my life is good, though I do not understand it. And if I never understand it, it will still be good. You think so? So, so what we may view 
from the perspective of cause and effect, like what Joseph said, could could be in the natural portion of the answer to the question. But it's, but it's not the answer. God is gracious to you, and if you ask those questions, it's, I'm sure he's fine with it. If you say, why did this bad thing happen? Well, maybe it was because of this. If you come up with your own answers, God's gracious, I'm sure he's fine with your own answers. But ultimately, you don't need answers. That's what I'm saying. And that's the key is you're choosing on the importance of where is your trust lie and find an answer that is hints to you, or does it lie in the fact that you know that God is good and you trust that you can trust? There's no way that you can see the Holocaust and ever see that there's a benefit. Which is actually the reason why this question is the question that is so well answered by Judaism since the Holocaust. They answer this question. They say, you say, happenstance is against the Almighty God. And that there is no such thing as cause and effect except that God is good in everything that comes from Him who is ultimately and completely in charge. Everything is good, even though I don't understand. That's pretty powerful. That is the essence of the highest level of faith. A man who walks into a room with a flashlight and can see something to keep from stumbling over is not the man that trusts. The man that walks into a room that sees nothing and knows not to step in front of something or stumble over something because you can see beyond what's in the darkness, that's faith. From the very beginning of time, too, you know that God is good. We never had never changed. We never had to have a, a book to tell us. And now that we have a book to tell us, like, I don't know, 10,000 years later, uh, it's exactly the same the same How thing. He never changed. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So when we read Kohelet this time of year, when we're going to read all the vanity, vanity, all is vanity, we should be smiling and saying, "Well, yeah, if that's your perception. I guess it is." That's the way the world looks at it all, but that's not what's going on. What's really going on is not life under the sun, as everybody says. What's really going on is a creator, a loving creator, a king, who is intimately involved in everything that I do, even when I don't see it. In fact, I would challenge you to say, especially when I don't see it. Talk amongst yourself. But just want to want to say because I know you know this, but I want to make sure people are hearing that the teachings are so good. It's not the fatalism in Africa. Judaism is not fatalism. No. It's faith. It's pure faith. It's not faith in a good outcome to a bad circumstance. That's not what that's that's not the faith we're talking about. We're talking about faith that says that without any change in the outcome, I still trust God. It's ultimately the faith that in a sense still brings up this because at the end of the story, um and oh, by the way, I know you're going to make this good, and you're going to fix all these problems. He says, before, I have heard of you with my ears, but now I have seen you with my eyes. The entire summation that somehow made it okay that his entire family, besides his wife, has been killed, 
that all of his sins had been stolen or destroyed, that he had been fired with a horrific illness for days, if not months, was made okay simply by the fact that God is God. I want to give you another picture or, and ask you to, to compare your picture with this picture. Mm -hmm. and I think it's close to the center, but there's a very strong um, this, this, this is a story, a parable given by uh, Rabbi Siva Katz. He says, faith is, or a moon is, if you're in a dark, if you're, if, if it's night time and you're in a, in a storm, a lightning storm, and it's completely dark, and you've lost your way, I mean, you know you're headed somewhere with the houses over there, but you, you can't do it because of the elements that are the wind and the rain and the darkness. And every once in a while, there's a flash of lightning, and you see the silhouette over there, and you go, oh, okay, I know now I'm headed in that direction, and then it's all dark again, and so by faith, because you did see something, so by faith, um, you're headed in the same direction, and you still feel disoriented, you still feel kind of lost until the next uh, bolt of lightning. Because I don't know if God calls us to completely blind faith. He doesn't. Does someone have tasted something? Somewhere we had to have seen something or heard something, and by faith on that, right. even though now he's hidden at the moment, yeah. we go until the next moment that we hear or see. And for us, I did mention it. What was it? You said that Joseph did himself by the hearing. No, wait. I heard before, but now I see that. Right. But for us, what was it? For us, it was... Sinai. No, that us, yeah. I mean, Sinai is the, is the thing that changes everything. There's no question now who's in charge. You have to believe it. God, the invisible God, who remains hidden to this day, was no longer invisible. He spoke, we heard, and he said, this is the way of life. Hebrews oh, 11 says that uh, faith is the evidence of things not seen, but it doesn't say it's things not perceived. Mm -hmm. it's right. This is its evidence, so it's not blind faith in a sense. I think as well, this is, this is Uncle Bob's uh, illustration as, as well. You should probably expound that, but I, it just reminds me of when he talked about how how God loves to play hide and seek here. And hide and seek, if you think of how hide and seek works, like, you know, I say to the kids, right, stay here and I'll go hide. If I'm hidden so well that they don't even see me, you know, they, they play the game for a while, but then they get bored. And so there has to be some kind of evidence that I would lose periodically. And, and that's exactly what God does. Well, we talked about nature. It's not sufficient to know everything that he wants us to know, but it's sufficient for us to ask the question, is this all there is? Somebody had to make it. That's right. That's true. I mean, think about a lot of things, but 
I think that's very good. Yep, absolutely. That's what I want to say is about David. David asked God why over and over. He asked God why. Left him, left him by the covenant. He asked him all those questions. But if you keep reading, you see that David wasn't believing blindly. Because he would come back and say, you are my strength. Now I want you to be your pleased to me. You are my strength. You are my salvation. You are my rock. Because he knew enough about God from experience, from whatever, the factual evidence that he had. That he didn't need blind faith for what he saw, but he did ask God about what he couldn't understand, but he was not depending on that for his relationship. Clearly Solomon does not blame in blind faith because he gives us the hint, that, the hint at the beginning and he tells us straight out at the end. The whole duty of man is what? Fear God and keep His commandments. So what is what is it that Ecclesiastes, what is he saying then with all this? I'm not getting the connection. It's the conclusion of the matter. No, I know the conclusion, but then how do we walk through it? He's showing, he's showing you the difference between, he's teaching you about wisdom from above by showing you wisdom from below. The wisdom of this world. And the wisdom of this world is that nothing really lasts. That's right, nothing matters. You might as well just give up. Or live your life to the full, but there's nothing else. Okay, and so he's shown with that, he's shown. So that's the way it looks. Remember, okay. you said you said if God's playing hide and seek, you're saying God plays hide and seek. That's exactly what's going on. Okay, so then ends by Ah, there is something else. There is something else, and if you will find it, if you'll seek it, it's far more important to seek it than to find it. If you'll seek it. There is wisdom in that. And actually, the, the use of the sukkah that I remember correctly, the rabbi teach that the, um, that it's, the timing is all confused. Why would you build sukkah to live outside, just when the weather is being cold, just when the rain season is hitting in Israel, and then call it the time of our joy? <laughs> and um, if I remember the rabbi teach that the idea is that that's the point. The point isn't that you go out and have a good time by itself. The point is that we choose to make God's time the time of your joy. And what God gives you. Exactly. Who becomes the source of your joy? It's not the circumstances you're in. It's not the rain or lack of rain. It's not the beautiful weather. It's not the nice warm house you're in. It's the remembrance that not only does He provide, but ultimately, he is the ultimate provision. And of course, it's good. So, how does this fit in with like, the promises that if you honor your father and mother, your days will be long? Cause and effect. The Bible is full of cause and effect. In fact, we, 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 are, we are part of a faith that God rewards those who obey Him. Isn't it His cause and effect? That's the difference. That's the difference. And we're very careful not to place constraints upon God. In other words, when we begin to say, I did such and such, and therefore, in my mind, that qualifies for you to have done such and such, that's making our rule. 
which is it's making our no own order. It's not really it doesn't really exist. It's foolishness. I'm content to have when obeyed my father and mother. You obey your father and mother, you know something good is going to happen because it's written in scripture. Right. But if you disobey your father and mother and you think something is going to happen, that's foolishness because you can't determine whether it's going to happen or not. Or when. Or when it's going to happen. <laughs> because it's disobedient. Okay. That's right. We're done. And actually, I would not use, I would not normally use cause and effect in terms of what God says that He will do. What I would say is God promises and He always fulfills them. So timing would be, if we're trying to note the timing, we're trying to note our own. Order. We are. Even if we see if he's noted the promise. That's right. That's exactly right. That's a Christian like in Hebrews. They, they believe the promise that many of them never saw, but ultimately they will experience. That looks at his through the authority that he places in our lives. Always. Yeah. And sometimes it hurts. But if we trust in him, then even my dream in the future we can rejoice. Joel, I don't like living in a socialist nation, but I recognize that it's by God's first goal. Oh man. I don't like living in a socialist nation, but I recognize by its his divine order. <laughs> Better than communism. <laughs> That's why you should sign that. <laughs> That's right. Anybody else have anything else before we